Welcome to the New Big Five podcast. I'm Graham Green. My guest today is the British wildlife photographer, Will Burrard-Lucas. Will, thanks very much for being on the New Big Five podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Will is a wildlife photographer and the founder of Contraptions, a company who specialise in inventive technology and photographic contraptions, including the Beetle Cam, which we'll get to talk about. And he recently published his book, Land of Giants, which is about the big tuskers of Savo in Kenya. Well, it feels like you're part photographer, part inventor. Why did you start inventing and messing around with pieces of camera gear? Yeah, so I would definitely say it all stems from me being a photographer, but uh, I'd often have a problem I want to solve. And often that involved inventing something that would allow me to achieve the photograph that I had in my mind. And so uh, over the years, my uh, ambition, I guess, grew and I started to invent more and more complex uh, bits of equipment to enable me to get these shots. It started off, first of all, by trying to get these sort of close-up wide-angle shots, which uh, back when I first got into it, which was more than 10 years ago now, it was a perspective that wasn't very commonly seen. And I started by achieving it by crawling up to animals that I could get close to. Uh Um, So animals like penguins and meerkats and things that weren't going to maul me if I I got out the vehicle. That's Um, good, no? Yeah, but uh, my sort of passion has always been African wildlife. Um, And so I really dreamed of getting these close up photographs in Africa. And so for that, I decided to build the Beetle Cam, which is this remote control uh, buggy with this sort of armored shell for the camera. And uh, I used that to get these close up photos of elephants and lions and things. And so that was really my first. invention and through that I had enough photographers coming to me and asking me to build similar things for them that um, eventually I set up Camtraptions as a a business to uh, to basically turn some of my creations into products for other photographers and filmmakers. That um that idea of getting down low and and getting close is important isn't it I mean the sort of classic view that people have from a, a safari vehicle is that sort of looking down from a diagonal on top of someone's head uh, sorry an animal's head it's not the ideal angle is it exactly for me uh, looking up at an animal it gives a much more presence it creates this much more intimate feeling photograph and using a wide angle lens also allows you to bring in a lot more of the environment and so in some situations it allows you to put the animal in its place a lot better than this sort of long telephoto type photograph that you uh, you know, often see um, more commonly, perhaps, and because that gives you this shallow depth field and narrow field of view, uh, you often get a very striking uh, portrait of the animal that you know isolates it from its background. But you don't necessarily get that sense of environment in the same way that you do if you get close with a wider angle lens. Yeah, um, and it keeps you safe, I guess. Like you say, it means you're not getting mauled. Exactly, that's the benefit as well. Yeah. Um, do you think this kind of innovation is is necessary now it seems to me we all see that there's so much wildlife photography out there do you think you need to innovate and to find those new approaches and new angles uh yeah i think innovation is one area um, that you you know can be used to to seek out perspectives and things that aren't commonly seen and definitely today people are having to push the sort of boundaries a lot more in terms of Uh, seeking out unusual subjects or trying new techniques to get images that haven't been seen before because all of the low-hanging fruit so to speak has has definitely been done a a long time ago so yeah people are looking for either uh, 
technological advances that are allowing them to do new things or you know seeking out more obscure and going to more remote places to try and photograph things that will will capture people's attention and so for me you know this close-up wide angle perspective was definitely something that wasn't uh, commonly seen uh, particularly 10 years ago when I when I sort of got into that uh, but now it is much more commonplace and you know especially even in uh, like the TV uh, documentaries and things that you see the sort of bbc natural history unit stuff you know a lot of that has gone much closer with wider angle lenses to give you this more intimate perspective so it's definitely more commonplace and for me the sort of frontier of wildlife photography has moved on to uh, doing a lot more with camera traps and working at night and for me these are areas where there's still uh, photographs that can be taken that are that people haven't seen before you think we've got to push the boundaries a little bit well, definitely. If to get your work noticed, you can't just uh, you can't just photograph the same things everyone else has done before. You know, even if you improve on them slightly, um, you know, it's it's not really enough to 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 really make an impact. You've really got to try and find something, uh, you know, completely new or unusual that really does capture people's attention. How much of all this was inspired by um, driving remote control cars as a kid? Uh, a little bit, maybe, but. It was definitely coming from a creative um, angle first. It was this photo I wanted to achieve, this close-up wide-angle photograph of a, of a lion. And it was just really figuring out how to make that happen. So um, I was, you know, I sort of had the end image in mind, and then it was a case of teaching myself the electronics and programming and, you know, fabrication and everything I needed to be able to do to then build a device that would allow me to achieve that. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, growing up, I certainly you know enjoyed that sort of thing i enjoyed building stuff and kind of creating things but uh yeah it was it's definitely been a means to an end rather than a rather than a hobby in itself yeah i imagine if you're driving these uh cameras around the ground in africa a few go missing have you had many cameras lost or eaten um so i've had two cameras destroyed in the 10 plus years i've been doing it the first was uh, the very first time I used the beetle cam with a lion. And in those days, I had no idea really what to expect and how the animals would respond to it. Um, and that very first beetle cam didn't have a protective shell around the camera. And so when I first used it on a lioness, she uh, she marched straight up to it and picked it up uh, by you know holding it by the camera. And so she her teeth went straight through the back of the camera and wrote it off. But uh, I learnt my lesson quickly there, and then uh, the next the next expedition I had a much uh, more robust beetle cam, which which proved uh, to withstand the attention of curious lions. Mm. Do you have an understanding insurance company? Oh, I don't even try to insure it. It's uh, <laughs> far too much pain to go through. I think. Yeah, well, there's there's nothing like losing a few grand to to make you learn those lessons quite quick, yeah, I guess. Exactly. And nowadays, you know, I know exactly the sort of boundaries and what I can do without risking my equipment and so yeah that was that was a sort of steep learning curve at the beginning but now I think the uh, the risks are pretty low because I, I you know I manage them wherever I can. Yeah what kind of animals do they really work on you know in terms of getting close what sort of species do that really work with? Yes yeah, so the beetle cam it's quite limited in that it can only really be used with the sort of bold inquisitive carnivores you know like lions hyenas wild dogs animals like that um or you know the animals like uh, buffalo rhinos and elephants but really anything that's prey 
is programmed to avoid any unfamiliar moving object and so you can't really get close to the more skittish wildlife with it unless you're lucky and you leave it still and they just happen to wander past so i tend to use it just for for those bigger uh, bolder animals and then for anything that's shyer i'll use camera traps to get the close-up wide angle perspective is it possible to develop a sort of stealth version of the beetle cam maybe but these animals you know they're so in tune with their environment i think it would be pretty hard to sneak up on any of them so uh, i find you know camera traps which you can camouflage and just leave you know for weeks or or more at a time and then the animals get used to them and 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 that's the sort of way i find is most effective at photographing them yeah you mentioned growing up a minute ago um i know you photographed all over the world but africa i think is is a focus and and you spent some time there growing up didn't you is that where you're your love of wildlife comes from? Yeah, definitely. So it was when I was quite young, between the age of about three and seven, we lived in Tanzania. And really, those are some of my earliest memories are of going on safari and uh, you know seeing wildlife in Africa. So certainly, uh, that's where both my love of Africa and my love of the natural world uh, sort of came from. And then growing up, uh, you know, David Attenborough documentaries and those sort of things kept that um, interest alive. Mm. And it was uh, then when I was at university that I got into photography and was able to start uh, traveling back to these uh, these places in Africa. Tanzania is one of my favorite places to photograph. I imagine growing up, I mean, how, how close were you to the wildlife? Did you live in a sort of an environment where there was wildlife on the doorstep? No, we lived in Dar es Salaam, the capital, but uh, we were regularly able to get away on safari. And so we probably did a, f- you know, a few safaris every year, um, which, um, you know, over the course of three and a half years, we, we managed to see, you know, some incredible things and still, you know, quite fresh in my memory today, they had that big an impact on me. Yeah, I can't imagine it really, having grown up all my life in uh, in England. But um, yeah, what a way to grow up, really, to have access to the wildlife in Tanzania. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, very lucky and definitely set the tone for for really the rest of my life. I've been there a few times, but do you have any favorite locations for me? It's a, you know, a country that's got those. It's got quite good off the beaten trek um, national parks, doesn't it? I mean, it's got the, the famous Serengeti, but it's got some really good remote areas to explore. Yeah, for me, I really prefer to go to these off the beaten track places, places where you, 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 you can take photos that are you know you can look at a photo of the set from the Serengeti or the Maasai Mara and almost know instantly that it was taken in those places but there are these more remote wild places where you have to work a bit harder to see wildlife but for me it's much more rewarding to be out in these places on my own not seeing another vehicle all day and and you know capturing animals in a less familiar environment and so in Tanzania specifically I like Katavi National Park and uh Mahali uh, for the chimpanzees mm. you know there's some really special places that that aren't the the obvious places to visit I'm just going to pause for a moment there I want to quickly explain to anyone listening that this podcast we're doing is part of the new big five project where we're creating a new big five of wildlife the old big five was of course based on the most difficult animals in Africa for hunters to shoot and kill the new big five that we're setting up is all about wildlife photography from all over the world Through the project, we're also highlighting some of the big issues to do with wildlife, conservation, climate change, and much more. So I want to ask people listening to go onto the New Big Five website, newbig5.com, and to vote for their own personal choices for five animals they'd like to be included in the New Big Five. Will, I'm asking every photographer that I speak to to name their own personal top five of wild animals. What would be your number one to start with? Yeah, so... uh, 
It tends to be the animal that I'm focusing on at the moment. I think the more time I spend with a particular species, uh, the more I learn to appreciate it and really fall in love with it. And so my previous project, I spent a year photographing elephants. And by the end of that project, I always didn't want to photograph anything else. But I, I you know, I had finished the project and it was time to move on. So uh, at the time it was elephants. But now I've spent the last year photographing leopards. And uh, for me, they've always been a very special animal to come across in the wild because they are so elusive. And so it's always been a creature that I've been on the lookout for. And when I do ever find one, it really, um, you know, gives me a, a big rush to find one. And now that I've been photographing them for a year and really uh, just, uh, yeah, getting to know a few individuals very well um, and and capturing beautiful shots of them, I just, yeah, I can't really imagine finding a a, a more beautiful subject. Of all the big cats, why leopards? Um, so this actually came about because I heard about this black panther, so a melanistic leopard, which is very rare. And um, I heard that one had been seen near where I was working in Kenya. And so I decided to try and photograph it. And it was one of these projects that was really speculative and I didn't really expect to succeed. But to capture images of something as rare as a black panther in Africa, you know, it, it was such an incredible opportunity that I, I knew I had to try and photograph it, no matter how slim my chances of success. And so I went after this black leopard and to cut a long story short, after a few days uh, with my camera trap set up, I managed to get the first photographs. And since then, I've been working on it constantly for more than a year now, photographing this leopard, but then also the other leopards in this area. It's a very good area for leopards. And so I've been capturing lots of different individuals. And really, uh, over the course of the year, as I've moved camera traps around, I've got to know um, three leopards in particular very well, and also a handful of others that I've captured from time to time. And really, I've been working on just uh, trying to capture the beauty of these animals, but also that mostly the photos are taken at night. So uh, capturing a sense of them in this, in their true environment, their true element, which is in the night, uh, a sort of side of leopards that you don't actually see that often in photographs. But for me, it's it really captures them better than a, a photo of a leopard in the day does, because, you know, it's at night where they're really doing their thing. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, it's been quite a all consuming project, really. And yeah, uh, yeah. That sounds great. Uh, I look forward to seeing the photos. So if that's number one, could we just run through your your other four animals? What would be on the list? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was really hard. I could have I could easily have had 10 with all of them being quite e equally my favorite. But um, I yeah, I love the big carnivores. Um, so things like leopards, lions, cheetahs. But, um, you know, lions are a, a and you know, all of them are really are, are creatures that have been photographed a lot and it is hard to get anything different. For me, some of the animals like African wild dogs, uh, which are a little harder to find, uh, you know, quite endangered, but for me, they have so much character. And so wild dogs are another animal that I just get a huge thrill whenever I come across them. I think that probably comes from the fact that when I first wanted to photograph wild dogs, it took me almost... It was like, I think it was about, what, 2004? It was nine years I'd been going to Africa without seeing them before I finally saw them for the first time. And so uh, ever since, you know, that experience of trying to track them down and constantly being disappointed, you know, now just every, every time I come across them, it's the hugest thrill. Um, then other animals that I, I really love, uh, I think the next would be chimpanzees. They are... Um, 
they, well, first of all, they live in such incredible habitats, these sort of enchanted African forests uh, where they're so kind of unfamiliar to other places you might visit in Africa. And so I love the habitat. And then actually just being with chimpanzees and sort of learning to understand the politics and the behavior that goes on. It's just so fascinating. And so I could spend, I, I'd love to spend years really working on a chimpanzee project one yeah. day just because there's so much to to see and learn about them so they're they're right up there um then the other animal i put on the list was the ethiopian wolf um mm. which is an animal i spent six weeks uh, photographing um in 2011 and yeah much like african wild dogs they're just such wonderful characters uh so endangered uh, but you know yeah just just they also live in these this beautiful afro-alpine habitat which is quite unique and so the whole experience of photographing them from from you know ca capturing behavior and and seeing the interactions of the pack and uh trying to capture them in their beautiful habitat is uh yeah it's just that was an incredible project um and then the last one i put on was was elephants because yeah as i said i spent this year the last year photographing them and you know there's they're another animal where the more you watch the more you, the more you start to appreciate the nuances of their behavior and how you know there's always something interesting to watch when when you're watching elephants this was in savo in kenya is that right yeah that's right so this is a project that i started in 2017 and i was really working on it for about a year and a half I was partnered with the Savo Trust and they're a small NGO who um, were set up basically in response to this terrible surge in poaching about uh, six or seven years ago. Mm. And what's their, one of their main goals is to protect some of Africa's last remaining big tusker elephants. And so there's about 25 of these big tuskers left in Africa and eight of them can be found in Savo. And basically these are elephants with tusks weighing in excess of 100 pounds on each side. And so actually this is a bit like the big, uh, big five uh, sort of definition. A big tusker was a definition from the old hunting days. Mm. Um, and it was any elephant with tusks weighing over 100 pounds. And so that's where this definition of a big tusker came from. Does that make them a... A massive target for poachers having tusks yeah. that size so for you know over a hundred years they've been targeted first of all by trophy hunters and now by poachers because really tusks that size are, are getting rarer and rarer and rarer and really they are so you know such an incredible draw for poachers because they are just worth so much these animals have really only survived by living in the remotest corners of these wild places like Savo and being incredibly secretive and you know just a few of them have managed to weather the the years of hunting and poaching and so the genes are still there um and there as i said there's about eight of them in savo and so savo trust have specifically uh, focused on trying to keep these big tuskers safe because in doing so they're effectively protecting all the elephants in the area and i teamed up with the savo trust to produce a book for them uh, which they could then use to really show people that these elephants are still out there and it's not too late to save them. What's it like to spend time with animals like that? They're so rare now, the Tuskers, aren't they? And, you know, you can see elephants across Africa, but to see these big ones, these giants, it's, it must be like stepping back in time a little bit. Yeah, it really was an incredible privilege, really. And when I first laid eyes on, on one, 
it really did take my breath away really because I just hadn't really appreciated that animals like this were still out there and did still exist in our world so I found it a very inspiring project when I when I realized that you know that these animals are are still there and so getting to photograph them was obviously a, a privilege as I said but then also a challenge to then try and capture what it is I was feeling as I was looking at them and try and convey this majesty and grandeur uh, so that you know people just looking at pictures might be able to get a sense of it as well. Did your cam traptions come in handy there? Did you use the beetle cam? Did you get yeah. down on the ground? Yeah so I used that beetle cam perspective to really uh, highlight those you know, incredible tusks stretching down towards the camera and so a lot of the most impactful photographs from the book were were taken from that beetle cam perspective. Um, you mentioned working with the Savo Trust. I think like a lot of the photographers we're talking to for the New Big Five, um, you seem to do a lot that sort of feeds into conservation work. I think another one of those is the Ethiopian wolf that you just mentioned. That's a lovely part of the world, isn't it? I wondered what your experience was like there. Yeah, so that was really my first big conservation photography project. And for that, I teamed up with another photographer from the US called Rebecca Jackrell. And we uh, put together a Kickstarter campaign, actually. It was one of the early ones because it had only been around a year or two when we did this project. And we'd raised enough through that to fund an expedition out to Ethiopia to photograph the Ethiopian wolves. And we spent about six weeks um, up in the highlands. They live in this incredible Afro-Alpine habitat, which is very different to anything I'd experienced in Africa before and very beautiful. And so we spent six weeks photographing the the wolves and at that time of year that we were there they were denning and so we got an opportunity to photograph the pack interaction and the pups coming out of the den um, and the adults bringing back uh, rats and things for the pups to eat and so yeah it was an incredible experience and then what we did was we, when we got back we were able to put together a book about the project illustrated with the photos mm. and then we that donated the proceeds from selling that book back to the Ethiopian Wolf Conservation Program. And so what we were able to do is take the the funds from Kickstarter, which were, uh, say, about $13,000 or something, but then subsequently we were able to do the book and turn that $13,000 into, I think we've now tripled that in terms of how much we've then been able to donate back to the Ethiopian Wolf Conservation Program in, from book sales. So uh, it sort of illustrated to me the you know how how photos can be used to uh to really give back to uh to wild animals that i've been photographing that's always the question is it i think a lot of photographers wonder how much good their photos do and and when you are raising money i guess that's a very clear you know you can you can see the impact yeah so i think the two main ways that we can use our photography for good are obviously like the Ethiopian Wolf Project which was raising funds but then yeah raising awareness which was more the focus of the Land of Giants project where um, where you know people conservationists are really trying to get the word out about their project tell people about the challenges they're facing and inspire people to hopefully support their cause and so you know these conservation organizations are always needing high quality images to help them communicate these things. I think I was there around five years ago and, uh, you know, I know this this issue with the Ethiopian wolves, you know, it's, it's getting quite drastic, isn't it? I wondered if, yeah, you, if you know the um, sort of latest on that. So yeah, I haven't actually been back to the Ethiopian wolves since I did that project. I've um, I have been back to Ethiopia, but different part. 
but yeah, the Ethiopian wolves, it's a very precarious situation because they are kind of isolated populations left and they're very susceptible to disease from domestic dogs and so uh, rabies and canine distemper. And so every few years they have a an outbreak of one of these diseases which uh, really you know, decimates the populations and it, you know, it is very precarious and progress has been made. They've, um, they, just as we started our project, they were trialing vaccines for the wolves and were giving these rabies vaccines, which are proven quite effective, but there's still the problem of canine distemper, which, um, yeah, which has been more difficult to solve. Um, so lastly, well, what's, what's next for you? Where are you heading off to next? Um, I'm still just finishing up my Black Leopard project. And so um, I'm going to be out in a couple of weeks just uh, checking the camera traps and probably moving them around one more time before I uh, finish that off. Well, that's a, a good place to end. Thanks very much for being on the New Big Five podcast. It's been good talking to you. Thank you very much. Yes, I've had a good time. To everyone listening, please go on to the New Big Five website, newbigfive.com and vote for your choices to include in the new Big Five of wildlife photography. On the website, you can find many more podcasts, as well as interviews with photographers and conservationists, articles on climate change, conservation, and the world's wildlife, photography tips, photo galleries, and plenty more. Please help us spread the word about the new Big Five project by sharing it on social media. Hashtag new Big Five. You can also find us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and Vimeo. If you'd like to get involved with the project, drop us a line. Contact details are on the website. Thanks for listening.